Good afternoon, Seaside. Man, it's so good to be here. You know, you guys, the worship here is so powerful, isn't it? There's just a, there's just such an anointing. And even at Sunday Swim, I mean, I could just feel just God's presence um, as you guys were interceding. And there's been such a, a change in authority that the people of this campus um, have been really growing into. And it's just so obvious. It's just so easy to see. And uh, I'm just so blown away by how, how God's been building this church. I've been so blown away. And so I'm just really glad to be here. Pastor Christian and myself were traveling uh, here from Seoul. Yesterday we had a really good time of, um, you know, we had brunch at Herman and Grace's and uh, got a little bit of a chance to play with baby Karis. And then we went to the beach and uh, rode the waves, which was the water was incredible. Uh, and, and then we ended it with a Grand Apple Buffet, which is like out of control. Yeah, it's crazy. It was crazy. It was, it was crazy. I was like in pain afterwards for like a really long time. I was like, oh. But it was, it was really good. And um, I'm just, every time I come, I'm just so blessed. I feel so refreshed. I feel so excited. And so we're just really glad to be here today. And so we're just so thankful. Um, I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes today. And uh, specifically one uh, verse in particular, Pastor John, he's the worship pastor and preaching pastor uh, over at Hillside. And uh, recently he was preaching a message at our joint prayer meeting. Uh, this is a prayer meeting where we invite all of the EMs of Seoul to come together and we really intercede on behalf of Korea. And he preached the message on one of the Beatitudes, uh, uh, specifically verse uh, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And it was just so powerful uh, that he just inspired me to kind of go back to Scripture and really meditate on the Beatitudes in general. Um, I'm part of K1. We're uh, a New Philly ministry where we do, uh, it's kind of like a house of prayer style. We, it's a prayer tabernacle. And what we do in the house of prayer is we pretty much just sing the word of God. We intercede with our voices. We intercede with prayer, and then we intercede with just singing. Uh, it's a really powerful and intimate time. And we've been meditating on verses, uh, I believe it's 6 to 9. Those, 1, 2, 3, 4, 4 verses, 6 through 9. And so uh, today I just want to preach on verse 8. Verse 8. So let's just read that together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Ready? Here we go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why don't you guys take a moment and just close your eyes real quick. And it's a really easy verse to memorize, so we're just going to recite it together. I'll say it, and you guys can say it again. Uh, but as, as you guys close your eyes, I want you to just for a moment let the words begin to come alive. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read scripture, I just kind of read it through and I skip, I kind of speed up. I don't allow scripture to speak to me. And so even before I preach on this passage, I want to give you guys an opportunity because I really feel like God wants to inscribe this in your hearts today. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure 
in heart, for they shall see God. Now keep your eyes closed, and we're going to say it together this time. Hopefully you guys caught it. Okay, on the count of three. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Lord, I just pray that that word would begin to stir up inside of our spirit right now. I pray, God, that not only would that word illuminate in our hearts, but, God, we pray that the word would begin to uh, speak to us, that it would begin to just expose our heart, that the word would begin to search our hearts, that the word would begin to dig through our hearts and that it would begin to, to, to circumcise the darkness out of our hearts and shed light where light needs to be shed. God, we pray, Lord, that we would meditate here on this verse, that we would be able to sit here on this verse, dissect this verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want this verse to be the meditation of our hearts. So I pray that you would begin to open up our eyes and open up our ears, that we would allow the word of God, the sword of the spirit, to begin to cut away all fallacy, to begin to cut away all doubt, all fear, and that we would be made established more greatly in who you are. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Blessed are the pure in heart. Did you know that you guys are called to purity? Your life, your calling as someone who believes in God is a calling and a mandate to purity. And this purity, at times, we can limit it to a sexual purity. And that's true. That word is inclusive of that. We're called to live sexually pure lives. But it's more than that. We're called to live a pure life in every aspect, in every area, that every part of our life is meant to be in alignment with God's word. This is something that has been attacked day in and day out. When it comes to our society, the world that we live in today, and it's not just today, but even, you know, ages before, if there's one thing that the enemy would love to attack, it's our commitment to purity. Everywhere we look, there is opportunity for compromise. Every place that we turn to, it is, it is blatant in our face that we can water down what we believe. A chance where we can water down what what the, what the word of God says, an opportunity for us to begin to, to, to allow mixture to come in. When you think about something that's pure, it's, it's untouched. It's just, there's nothing else but 100% orange juice, 100% 24 karat gold. The, the substance, the essence, every part about it is, is the same. It's, there's no mixture. There's no concentrate. There's no artificial flavoring. There's no color dyeing or, you know, whatever. The, it is just pure. And we're called to live a life where there's no compromise. We're called to live a life where there's no mixture when it comes to our faith, when it comes to what we believe in, when it comes to how we see scripture, there should be nothing Nothing that's watered down. And yet when you look at believers today, often our idea, our mindset is how far can we go in the world 
and still be okay. Even if you look at the context of sexual purity, when we're told, hey, premarital sex is considered a sin according to scripture, then the question begins to, to go, well, how far can I go? What is okay? How far, what can I do with my girlfriend? What can I do with my boyfriend that is still not in the area of sin? We begin to stretch our, our, our limitations and it's not pursuing purity. It's not pursuing a, 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 a place that has absolutely no mixture. It's how much mixture can I allow? And still consider myself someone that believes in God. And it's something that we face day in and day out. And I just feel like God has this fire and this seal and this passion to renew our desire for 100% purity. The pure in heart. And it's not the end goal. Sometimes we think that's what it is. As a believer, our end goal is to be made pure. That's not true. See, purity is, is actually just a means to something. You know what that is? It's here in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they shall see God. Our mission and our mandate as people that are set apart, people that are different, too much, too often we look too similar to people in the world. Our values, our ideals, our principles that we stand on is no different than the person who doesn't believe in Jesus. When that is the case, something is very wrong there because Jesus is so against what the world holds today. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And yet purity is not just the end goal. Some people live their lives just like that. I'm called to be pure. I have to do pure things. I can't, I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not. And it's just about purity. But when we make it like that, we completely miss the point. Because we're blessed, not because we're pure, but we're blessed because the pure see God. This is about our relationship. This is about our ability to encounter, to experience who God is in our lives. And there are times where we live our lives and we're asking God, where are you? Where are you in this situation, in this circumstance? What I'm facing today, I don't see you in this place. Where are you? Or in my struggle and in my hardship and in my temptation, where are you? We have this desire to see God, to experience God, to know that God is near. And sometimes we demand God to show himself, but we aren't willing to pay the price of being made pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for it is they that shall see God. There's this hunger that God has for you to be pure. It's a, it's a jealousness that's inside of him. He wants all of you. He's not interested in 99.99% of you. He wants all of you. He wants every single part of you from your fears, from your desires, to the promises, to the doubts. He wants it all. He wants it all. He doesn't just want the, the good stuff. God is interested in everything that you're carrying right now. He wants every single part of you. Why? Because he wants you to see him. He desires 
to reveal himself to you. That's his desire, that we may know who he is. And in fact, that's actually the very definition of eternal life. This is eternal life, that we may die and go to heaven. Now, that's not what scripture says. This is eternal life, that we may know him. That's eternal life. That eternal life we're called to experience today, even before our death. We're able to walk in that eternal life, that experience of knowing God right now, right here on this earth in this life. But that knowing God, that experiencing God, that seeing God, we have to first deal with the purity of our heart. We got to deal with that. We can't skip that. We can't bypass that. We can't jump around that. We got to confront it and we got to deal with it. You know, that word pure in Greek, it's katharas. Uh, I, I always take notes. So when, you know, a, a preacher says those kind of things, I spell it like, her, so I'm going to spell it out for the, the note takers because I feel you. It's K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S. Katharas. Everybody say that together. Katharas. Katharas. And this word pure, what it means in Greek is it's kind of a multi-level definition. And, and one aspect of this pure is free from corrupt desire. It's to be free from sin and guilt. To be free from mixture. To be free from what is false. It's sincere, genuine. Blameless, innocent, free from anything that corrupts. That's one aspect of pure. But another aspect of pure that I found very interesting, this Greek word, katharas, is this pure means purified by fire. And just like that, it also means a vine cleansed by pruning and so fitted to bear fruit. So we're not just talking about one dimension of being clean. We're not talking about one dimension of being free from sin and being free from guilt and, and being free from any sort of corruption. But we're also talking about another dimension of being refined by fire. Being made purified by fire or purified by the pruning of things that do not bear fruit so that you can bear fruit. And so I want to talk a little bit about that kind of purity. I want to talk about the purifying that happens only when you go through the fire. You know, often gold is used in scripture as kind of like an illustration of what our faith needs to be like. Our faith should be like pure gold. I want you guys to turn with me to 1 Peter. And we're going to look at chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Um, and let's just look at verses 6 to 7. Okay. It says this, I'll read it. You guys can just follow along. Uh, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here, Apostle Peter is referring to comparing a tested faith even less than gold. I mean, even, no, gold is less than a tested faith. What? (laughs) That pure gold, which is one of the things that's considered most valuable in this world. There's a little bit of controversy about diamonds, right? I don't want to go there. But when it comes to gold, gold is a highly valued thing. In fact, some people invest in purchasing gold and using that and putting that away as sort of like a savings. Because they know that gold will always uh, be considered of high value. And even increase because of just how good it is. And I'll talk a little bit more about what makes gold so special. But here's gold, and it's a gold that perishes. Even gold in its high value in in the system of the world, it's still something that perishes. Yet we're called to have a faith that's even more valuable than gold. And it's a faith in comparison to gold that's been tested through fire. Now, if you look, I was looking at a commentary provided by Lifeway. And one of the commentary um, authors was talking about how a goldsmith, when you talk about refining gold, sometimes you find gold and it's a little bit a mixture with other metals. Usually find it with, you know, composites of silver or, you know, other types of metals. So in order to get just pure gold, what they do is they put it on high heat and all the metals just melt right? Until it's just melted. And it's interesting because while all the metals melt, pure gold will continue to, you know, be in this pot, but all the impurities or all the other metals comes to the surface. It just comes up. And what this goldsmith will do is basically just take a little sifter thing and just scoop up the other metals and then dump it. And then they'll wait till the gold remaining gold cools. And then they do it again. And then they do it again and again and again. They heat up this gold and they purify it again. The impurities come to the surface. They clean it again, let it cool, burn it again. The impurities come up to the surface. They scoop it. It burns. It's taken away. And then all of a sudden, you are left with pure gold. How do you know that you're left with pure gold for a goldsmith? It's when, number one, there's no more impurities that's floating up. And number two, when the goldsmith can see his reflection in the gold, then he knows it's pure. That's when he knows it's pure. You know, no one likes the fire. In fact, we're, who, who goes into the fire? We're taught go away from the fire. You know, if you see a fire, if you see smoke, you know, uh, uh, many of us aren't going to go, oh yeah, now it's, you know, we go running in. If we see some sort of fire situation, something that has high heat, something that is causes distress, we're going the other way. But there are times when God ordains and sets it apart that you and I go through some fire. And when I'm talking about fire, I'm talking about difficult circumstances. Sometimes scripture refers to this fire as trials and tribulation. And we go through these trials and it feels like everything inside of us is being burned up. It's not a pleasant experience. In fact, often it's very uncomfortable. And even while you're in the fire, you're thinking, how can I get out of the fire? But it's only in this place of trial and tribulation where all of a sudden impurities begin to float up. 
I don't know about you, but when I go through some tough things, man, some stuff comes to the surface. You know, I'm thinking I'm all holy and I got a great relationship with the Lord. And all of a sudden I get thrown in this trial and, and then the fear, it's just like the forefront. All of a sudden I get angry or these things that I thought I'd been done away with is floating right up to the surface. I'm like, how did I get there? What happened? We are in a refining process. And this is a process that we will continue to be in. Just like gold, we're constantly, constantly being put in the fire. Impurities floating up. God's scooping it out. And then we're cooling down. And then he puts us in the fire again. And then impurities come. Why, why, why does God put us through the fire? Because he wants you to see him. And when does he know that you have been made perfected? It's when there's no more impurities coming up to the surface. And two, when he sees his reflection in you, when you begin to reflect Christ, even in the midst of trial, listen, it's not just about reflecting Christ when things are well, because we can all do that. Oh, things are good. My job is good. My job is secure. My family is great. I have no problems. I'm, uh, this is a good season for me. Well, it's great to stay in that place of joy. It's easy to be patient with others. It's easy to be loving. It's easy to be kind. But when you're getting tested, man, that is a place where it's hard. It begins to get difficult to reflect Christ in our circumstances, isn't it? When things aren't going right, when your job's not stable, when you just got laid off, when your apartment is not getting rented out by somebody else, you know, when people are coming in and they're not, they're not taking it, man, that's, there are certain trials and tribulations. But in that moment, when we can reflect Christ, you can know God is purifying you. Not only are you then able to see God, but guess what? People can see God in you. That's a powerful thing. This is why God puts us through the fire. Some of us, we just want to avoid confrontation. We want to avoid pain. We want to avoid disappointment. We want to avoid the things that may cause us to feel a little bit uncomfortable. We want to run opposite the other direction. But often what's funny is God is calling us directly to that place. Now I want to make it clear. Sometimes we go through the fire because of our foolishness. You got fired from your job, not because God's putting you through the fire, but it's because you haven't been showing up on time for the past six months. You know what I'm saying? I'm not equating every trial in your life as, oh, God's putting you through the fire. No, there are some instances where we got to check ourselves and realize, okay, my bad. You know, that happened because I forgot to do this or this happened because I wasn't paying it. There are times where we got to take responsibility, but there are also other times where this is, it is God ordained. You know, this is the year of inspiration. And this year for me started out phenomenally. I started my year out in January on vacation with Mina and Caleb, your campus pastors. My husband, we went to Phuket, Thailand, and we were chilling. We had a beautiful hotel the first couple of nights, an amazing pool. We went to the beach. We ate Indian food. I don't know why we ate Indian food in Thailand, but it was like amazing Indian food in Thailand. We went there at this Dubai restaurant. I still think about it sometimes. And then we went to this incredible villa. We moved to a villa, a private villa with this private pool that was 
more like a dunking pool because very little. But then, uh, even from that place, we were able to go to the beach and just enjoy uh, just a beautiful time, awesome time together. I mean, that's how my year started. How did yours start? I was on the beach, you know, hanging out, lounging by the pool, having a good old time, eating great food. It was a nice beginning to my year of inspiration. I was like, man, God, if this is what I have for the rest of the 11 months that are left, I, I, I am liking this year. And then we come back and we get ready to go to the Philippines. My husband and I, we took a, a team and we, uh, we went to the Philippines and we got to minister to all these different amazing uh, uh, native pastors that are there. I got to see some of our own team members really rise up into new levels of leadership. One of my Emmaus students, I do the college ministry, uh, the student leader, Chisu, she was our team leader. She was the youngest on the team and we made her the leader. And she did a phenomenal job leading the team. It was just a powerful time. Good year. And then I come home and Valentine's Day, I find out that I'm pregnant. And this is like the miracle of miracles because I had been uh, actually really getting the whole church to pray for me about getting pregnant. I had been to the gynecologist and I was diagnosed with uh, something where I don't ovulate. And so my eggs don't mature and it's pretty much not possible for me to get pregnant unless I have some sort of hormonal treatment. And so when I got, when I heard that diagnosis, I told the doctor, listen, uh, I'm going to withhold on the treatment for now. Uh, I'm just going to take some time to think about it. But in my mind, I was saying, I'm going to get the church to pray. And so I got the church to pray. We confided in our leaders. And lo and behold, after a couple of months, after an amazing vacation in Thailand, after a powerful mission trips in the Philippines, On Valentine's Day, I find out that I was pregnant naturally. Can you imagine? Now, that that result actually kind of turned a little bit uh, unnerving because I thought later on I realized, oh, we might have read the test wrong because we looked at it a lot later. And so I was freaking out again, like, oh, no, maybe I'm not pregnant. But a couple of days later, it was confirmed I was pregnant. I went to the doctor's office, and we saw itty-bitty little circle in there, and she pointed to that and said, that is your baby. And so we announced it to the leaders and it was like the most roar of cheers that went out and people were crying. I was crying just because everyone knew and was walking with Pastor Christian and myself contending for this miracle. And so it was a powerful time. Great beginning to the year. But all of a sudden, things started turning. And in the beginning of my pregnancy, all of a sudden I started experiencing severe cramping and bleeding. I went to the doctor's office and I was really nervous, but I wasn't that nervous because I I, honestly, I kind of exaggerated on the bleeding. It's just because I wanted another sonogram and I wanted to see if I could see the baby. So I was like, oh yeah, I really got to go in. And they're like, yeah, sure. Come in. But I really didn't have any preparation or any idea that I was going to be told what I was told in that moment. And the doctor does the ultrasound and all of a sudden she shows me the sack. It got bigger. And she says, well, there's something wrong. And I said, what do you mean there's something wrong? She goes on to tell me that the sack was empty. And by this time, in the amount of weeks that I was pregnant, you should have been able to see a baby or a yolk sack or a fetal pole. I didn't know what they were either. <laughs> I was like, a yolk sack, fetal pole, what is that? Um, but things inside of the little circle. And we were told that nothing that should be in there was there. And she looked at me with loving eyes, and I had a midwife holding my arm. And they said, I'm sorry, but you have, you're, you have a miscarriage. And 
I was just stunned. I looked it up when I got home later, and I realized it's something called a blighted ovum, which is just an empty sack. It's a form of a miscarriage. And you can imagine, I mean, my year was going so phenomenally well, and then all of a sudden, what? What? What do you mean this is a miscarriage? This is a child of promise. This is a child of pro- This is a child that was born out of the prayers of the house. I mean, to be hit with this, I, I was devastated. And in that devastation, I was still committed uh, after uh, some crying. But uh, after it all, I was still committed to believe that God could do a miracle. In my mind, I was like, it's not game over. I mean, God could resurrect the dead to life. Why not my own child? And so for the next couple of weeks, my husband and I contended fiercely. But to be honest, I was a little bit confused. Why? Why is this happening? Oh, God, maybe you're writing a powerful testimony so that if any women in the future deal with any, you know, blighted ovum issues, then they can see my testimony and see that a baby can still be born or, you know, whatever it was. And I, I started wrestling with this idea, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you in this situation? Because this doesn't make sense. And I, I began to confide in my um, spiritual mentor, Pastor Sonny. And I was confused because a part of me started thinking, Maybe it's my fault. Maybe we shouldn't have tried when we were going on airplanes. Maybe we conceived in Thailand and we rode the airplane and the sound waves or electromagnetic waves, you know, did something. Or, or you know, maybe we shouldn't have gone to the Philippines. Maybe I should have just stayed home since we were trying. Or maybe there's some sort of room, some sin I opened the door to. Maybe there's some occultic background in my family that I don't know of. I just began to just go buck wild thinking why and, and, and what did I do wrong? And I was so focused on what the devil was doing that I completely forgot to ask the Lord, God, what are you doing? It's funny when we hit our trials and our tribulations, when we hit these times of fire, often we are so consumed with what the devil has accomplished And we're so fixated on this prayer that's not getting answered. And we're so fixated on this breakthrough that hasn't come yet. We're so fixated on on the work of of witchcraft here or on the, you know, the, the spirit of unforgiveness there that we forget to ask God, what are you doing and where are you? So I began to go to Pastor Sonny and said, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know if I'm supposed to accept this. I don't know if I'm supposed to pray against this. I don't know. What I'm supposed to be thinking right now, I'm very, very confused. And she looked at me and she gave me uh, Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, there's a passage where Jesus walks on water. And for some reason, whenever I remember this passage, I only remember the part where Jesus walks on water. And then Peter walks on water. But what I forget is that there was a huge storm that was happening before they saw Jesus coming. It was a storm. And the way that scripture describes it, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. It's very telling. Matthew chapter 14. um, 22, starting from verse 22, I'll read it for you guys. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, 
beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Have you guys ever felt like that? That you are getting beat down by your circumstances? That you are getting beat down by the things that you are facing? That everything that says the wind was against them. I don't know if you ever felt like that, where everything in your life was against you. Like anything and everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong. This was what I felt in that exact moment. I felt like I was getting beat down wave after wave after wave of discouragement and disappointment. I believed my husband and I, we believed for a miracle. The whole church believed for a miracle. We saw the doctor maybe three or four times. And each time I was told it's still empty. Another wave. See the doctor a couple weeks later, the sack is still empty. Another wave. I just It was like I was getting beat every time I mustered up enough faith to believe that God could do a miracle. Another wave crashing down on me. Everything coming against me. That's that's what it felt like in that moment. And when I began to... Asked Pastor Sonny, what what is God doing? She gave me this passage, and here the disciples are getting their butts whipped by the storm. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears supernaturally, walking on water. And he says this. This is the first thing he says. He says, take a heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Pastor Sonny began to just prophesy over me. This is not the devil's work. This is not the result of sin that, you know, was open in your life. This is God. Don't be afraid. Take heart. It is I. And here Jesus appears supernaturally. He was far from the boat. And I felt like he was far from my situation too. But here he reveals himself supernaturally in the midst of this storm. And says, don't be afraid. Take heart. It is I. And I realized, just like this passage was saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they will see God. Sometimes God puts us through the fire because he's wanting to reveal himself supernaturally in our lives. Can I get some? There you go. You're good, ma'am. You know, it's scripture in the book of Daniel. There's a story of of, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these were three men that had a a, a strong fear of the Lord. These were God-fearing men. And in their lives, they did everything right. But all of a sudden, as they're faithfully following the word of God, as they're faithfully living their lives... They get hit with this situation 
where the king all of a sudden commands them to bow down to an idol and they refuse out of their integrity to worship God because of their purity in their heart to not compromise. They refuse. And what happens? Did God deliver them? Did he change the course of the king's heart to all of a sudden say, good job. Now I'm going to promote you and elevate you to this place. No, they get charged and indicted and are told you're going to go through the fire. And the king is so pissed at the fervency and just the faith of these three guys that he's like, turn this furnace up even hotter than it is. And as they're about to step into the furnace, I bet you that they had this desire. God, you're going to save me now, right? God, you're going to take me now, right? God, you're going to come through right now because I don't want to go in that furnace, but, but you're a God that can do this. You're going to help me to avoid this fire, right? No, God didn't show up in that moment. They walked in that furnace, all three of them, with the heat so hot that the guards that took them down died. And they step in this fiery furnace. And what happens? A fourth man appears. They were able to see another person appear. What? Who is that? And it said that that man was Jesus, pre-incarnate. He went into that fire. See, God puts us in the furnace, but the thing about God's goodness is he doesn't let us go there by ourselves. He's a God that goes with us. And there Jesus was standing with them in that furnace. And can you believe it? They did not burn. You can imagine in their mind, they're saying, all right, this is it. We're going to die for you, Lord. If this is the way that I'm going to go, then I'm going to die this martyr's death. If I'm going to have to go through this trial, then I will go. But in God's goodness and his graciousness, the fire that should have destroyed them didn't even leave a scent of smoke on their clothes. And when they were called out of that furnace, people were like, who is that fourth person? I could have sworn we put three people in that furnace. Who was that fourth person? God is wanting to supernaturally reveal himself. He wants to refine your heart. He wants to purify you. He wants to bring the impurities of your heart to the surface to take them away. Why? Because he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to show himself to you. In that moment of despair, I hit despair. It was a tension of despair and faith and despair and faith. I mean, you want to talk about roller coasters? I was riding one. And yet when I look back and I ask God, God, why is this happening? Why would you put me through this? I mean, in front of the church, no less. I mean, shouldn't this work out well so everyone can see that believing in you is awesome, you know, and that when you believe in God, he answers prayers. But, but how is this going to work out? Eventually, I had to get an operation and completely terminate the pregnancy because a natural miscarriage wasn't happening. Not only did I have to get one operation, I got a, a fever uh, within the week and I had to go back to the hospital, go on an IV for a couple of hours. And then I had to go back. And right when I thought things were over, I was told, no, there are still things that are remaining. So we have to give you another operation. I mean, it was just wave after wave after wave. And I was like, when is this going to end? 
God, shouldn't this have ended differently? Why? Why? And as I was just meditating, and as I was seeking God's face, all of a sudden, I felt God say to me, you asked for this. And I was like, hold up. Hold up. I know my prayers for a healthy child. I know my prayers for the promise of Deuteronomy 2811, that God will cause you to abound, that he will cause you to be prosperous in the fruit of your womb. That's the verse that I was claiming. I mean, I know all the scriptures about pregnancies, about not being barren. I mean, I wrote them all in my journal. I recited them every day. You know, I was like, I don't recall praying this prayer. God, will you give me a miscarriage? God said, no, 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 not that. Sorry, Karis. But you did pray a prayer, God, I want to see you. You did pray a prayer, God, show me your glory. You you did pray a prayer, God, I want to be made one with you. You did pray a prayer, God, cleanse me, purify my heart. And he said, I'm answering your prayer. Because his desire was to reveal himself to me, not in the place of fulfillment of promises, but in the place of suffering. Sometimes things don't work out well, folks. And it doesn't happen in timing that you want. But let me tell you something. God is still with you. And he's still revealing a part of himself that doesn't get revealed unless you're in the fire. It's his commitment to you and I that we would know him. It's the prayers that we pray, God, reveal yourself to me. He takes those prayers seriously. And sometimes in order to answer that prayer, he puts us through a purifying fire. You know what came up to surface during that time in my life? What came up to surface was this fear that I would never be fruitful. It's this lie that I will never be fruitful and or I can't sustain fruitfulness. I got pregnant, but I can't sustain pregnancy. And it's not just in the area of pregnancy. It was something that I realized was something I was struggling with in all areas of my life. You can't be fruitful in ministry. Or, yeah, New Philly is doing well now, but it's not going to continue. One day things are going to fall apart. I had this fear that things were going to collapse. I had this fear that things can only go so well for so long. It's this thing that I I didn't even know I was carrying. It's this idea that God doesn't answer my prayers. And God just exposed it. And it just shot up to the surface as if I had no faith. I mean, I'm a woman of faith. But in that moment, all I could see was doubt. And I realized God was giving me an opportunity 
to give it to him. Because he's the goldsmith. We don't sift our own crap out, you guys. Excuse my wording, but he's the one that does it. When it comes to pruning, God is the vine dresser. He's the one that cuts away. He's also the one that takes the impurity out. But we got to surrender ourselves to him. What happens is when we hit the fire, we close our hearts. When we go through the trials, we say, forget this, God. You're not with me. Peace out. We say, if this is the Christian life, then I don't want this because I thought it was going to be all easy peasy. So what's up with this? And we begin to turn our face away from the one who designed it to bless us. And we have to allow the goldsmith to work. We got to let him work. God, this is the stuff that comes out. You got to be the one to take it out, Lord. Because I don't want this in my life. It's exposing the impurities not to condemn you guys, but to purify you. It's not to discourage you. It's not to break you down. It's to purify you. All of a sudden, when I realized that God was trying to show himself to me in this situation, I asked, well, God, how, where, where? Show me. And then he began to just show me person by person who manifested Christ for me in that, in that time of my life. I mean, he showed me my husband who pretty much like nursed me back to health. I mean, it was a difficult time for him as well, uh, but he uh, continued to minister to me. That was a manifestation of God's love. He showed me uh, my sister-in-law who, who lives with us. She was there right after the operation. And she was, um, I, I came out, uh, you know, woozy because I was under anesthesia. And I laid there. And the moment I woke up fully, I realized that this was, it's over. I lost my baby. And I broke down. And she was quietly, like, where my feet was because I was lying down. She was quietly just crying. And, and I knew that looking back, My husband preached this in a message, but I'll I'll say it again. Looking back, I realized that that was God manifesting his presence with me. And then I realized that during the second um, operation, my mom was visiting Korea. And she cooked for me. She cleaned the house for me. She ministered to me during that time. And I realized, wow, again, God was saying, I was showing you myself. And then Rodney Henderson was around as well. And Rodney, he's a a speaker from IHOP who we have a really great relationship with. And I was like in this sort of semi-depressed mode. And so I I didn't come out of my room. And I was just like in bed, you know, depressed, grieving, whatever you call it. And Rodney was visiting. He was staying at my place. I was like the worst host you can think of, you know. I didn't give him breakfast, nothing. He was just on his own. But he would come knock on my door. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Aaron, it's, it's Rodney. You, do you want anything? You want me to pick you up anything? You hungry? Hey, girl, you hungry? I was like, no, Rodney, I'm okay. Yeah, I can pick you up some donuts. You want some donuts? <laughs> I was like, no. And, and I didn't open the door, you guys. I was just in bed as he's knocking, and he'd be like, hey, Aaron. Don't let the devil um, 
don't let the devil keep you down. And then you walk away. I mean, my, my Southern Rodney, I mean, I love him. I'm not Aaron. I'm Aaron. Aaron. And it, it, it was just a, a manifestation of God just knocking. And I just realized throughout this process, he was revealing so many parts of who he is and his faithfulness to me. It's something I wouldn't have gotten if things were perfect. It's something that I had to grasp in the time in the fire. He was purifying my heart because he was wanting to show himself a part of himself to me that I didn't really know. God wants to purify our hearts. Amen? Amen. And one way, this is not the only way. He purifies our hearts many ways. He purifies our hearts through scripture. It's the word that cuts through our flesh, that exposes the, the doubts and the lies in our minds and cuts it out. The word of God is powerful and mighty to purify us. He purifies us through his word. He purifies us through relationship. But there are times where he purifies us through fire. Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 2, it says this. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. When we walk through fire, God is with us. When we walk through fire, God is purifying us. When we walk through fire, Jesus can come supernaturally, walking on water, appearing in a furnace. He wants to make a supernatural aspect of him known. It's through the fire. When we walk through fire, you know what the scripture is saying? We are blessed. Blessed are those who are purified by fire, for they shall see God. You know, this whole thought, this whole time, I thought I was cursed. I thought I was cursed. All these women of God getting pregnant, healthy pregnancies. I'm the one with the miscarriage. I must be cursed. And you know what? God was trying to break down that lie. He was saying, what cursed? No, read your Bible. You're not cursed. You are blessed. You are blessed because he is purifying your heart through the fire. This is just one aspect of this verse. I mean, there's 50 million revelations that we can get from blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. But today the word on my heart was the the, the purity that comes from a refiner's fire. It comes when the heat is turned up. 
It comes when things come to the surface and things are exposed and we're tempted to be discouraged. We're tempted to think that we're going backwards. We're tempted to think that we actually weren't delivered when we got delivered. We're tempted to think that things haven't changed, that we're still the old person. But God is saying, no, I am just bringing to the surface the impurities that he wants to get rid of. That's all. And it is a process. I know that this isn't the only fire I'm going to go through. Let me be real here. I know that I have to look forward to, yay, many a fires in my life where things may not go well. And I face some things that are hard and tough where I have the temptation to feel hopeless and wonder where the heck God is. But when you hold on to this truth and this revelation, when we face those times, we can tell ourselves, God, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm not cursed. The devil's not succeeding over me. The devil hasn't won. No, Christ, you always win. I am blessed. Some of you guys right now are facing some things and it feels uncomfortable. And you have a a temptation to think you did something wrong. It's my fault. Maybe I opened up this door. Maybe I did this. Listen, it's good to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Sometimes it is a trial or, or, or something where we might have opened the door in our unforgiveness. Or we might, and, and God wants to expose that. But there are times where this is just completely God-ordained. It's not because of something you've done wrong. It's because of something you've done right. I want you guys to just close your eyes. And I'm just going to preach another five minutes, but I want to preach to you with your eyes closed. That word heart, in this passage, in Greek, it's kardia. And that means, you know, we think blessed are the pure in heart. When we think heart, we think superficial emotions. Oh, follow your heart. Should I marry this guy? Follow your heart. You know, it, it's, it, it's, society has dumbed it down to some superficial, you know, word. But the, the reality, the substance of this word heart is, it's an organ that sustains our life. I mean, when you want to check if someone's dead or alive, you check if they have a heartbeat or not. It's where all the blood circulates. It's the center. It's the gravitational force of whether you are alive or whether you are dead. And this is, it's, it's the same in the spiritual sense. It's the seed of our intelligence. It's the, it's the seed of our emotions. It's the seed of our will, our desires. When God is saying that blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about the pure, the, the refined by fire, the center of your lives, the very being of who you are, the very feelings that you're feeling, the very will, the very desires, the very core, the very thing that decides whether you live whether you die, God wants to purify that place where every thought comes from, 
where every fear resides. It's that core, central place, both emotionally, spiritually, physically, that God wants to purify. And I believe that today, today he wants us to have the right mindset. Because First Peter, we read earlier in First Peter, chapter 1, it said that in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result. Here's a key word. This is where it ends, folks. Result in praise, result in glory, result in honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is where God wants you to end. This is the result of the fire he wants to put you through. It's praise, glory, honor, revelation of who he is. Come on, let's take this time. And I want you to allow God to illuminate some stuff that you've been feeling like has been going on fire. Some things that you've been dealing with that's just been, the, the temperature has been heating up higher and higher and higher. And it feels like death. And I want us to begin to, in that place, give thanks. In that place, allow God to reveal himself. God, where are you? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to reveal? Because in that place, there is a revelation of Jesus Christ, of who he is. Come on, let's just all begin to pray. Let's just begin to open up our hearts. I want to encourage you, be real. This is not time to to say the right words or, God, I, I thank you. Let him know that it's been hard. Let him know that you've been scared. Let him know that that you've been concerned. Let him know that it's been discouraging. Begin to be real with him and then allow God to speak. Allow him to speak into your situation. Come on, let's all begin to pray. Father, I just thank you. God, oh Lord, that it is through fire that you refine us, God. God, oh Lord, that it is your desire, God, Lord, that we would be a people, God, oh Lord, that deliver us, God. We're knowing.